All right. Hey, listeners, this is William Sterling, and you are listening to the Killer Mediums podcast, where we talk about all your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. Today's topic, Don't Go Into the Woods, uh, and we're joined by guest Catherine Silva. As a warning, this is a very spoiler-heavy podcast, so if you want to avoid spoilers for any of today's topics, especially the show from the game Alan Wake, or Catherine's ongoing book series, The Wild Oblivion, then you should definitely turn back now. But with all of that said, here we go. Let's get spooky. Coroners tied bells to everybody in the morgue. So if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. Kat, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty well. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. We had a we had a mini gripe session right before this about Amazon and Ingram Spark and publishing and the UPS strike and just like I am glad to have an avenue to like vent for an hour with a like-minded friend. <laughs> yeah. Me too. So to kick things off, I want to give you the stage to really introduce yourself to the listeners, introduce your book series to the listeners, anything you want to lead the show with here. Sure. Um, so I am a horror writer from Maine, first off. I tend to write very like grief-heavy existential horror uh, about the woods, mostly, <laughs> and <laughs> The Wild Oblivion series is all about a purgatory forest that is taking over the world and kind of what happens to the characters uh, in the world that are having to deal with that. Um, book one is The Wild Dark, which is about an ex-cop, Liz, who is trying to get over the death of her partner, Brody. Uh, she's gone away to this cabin in the woods for a while um just to try and cope and that is when the purgatory would start to take over the world so that's how the series kicks off um the sequel to that the wild fall is coming out august 3rd uh that takes place 10 years in the future and there are a few other like kind of tangenty novellas short stories that i've also published in the same series uh hell at oblivion which is kind of like a spirited prequel orchards which is a short story sequel to the wild dark and then dan and andy's Skariokey holiday which is the goofy christmas short story so that's kind of the series in a nutshell awesome um, we are going to come back to the series at the end of the episode because I have a lot of questions about that and just kind of shared universe creating and um, it, just everything that goes into building that out. Um, I've only read The Wild Dark and The Wild Fall, so uh, I'm going to have to like be careful not to pull spoilers from you for the others. <laughs> I, I won't, uh, won't give anything away. Okay. Um, we have an icebreaker question for the day. We have never done this before, um, but we had a mystery caller send a question in. Um, Kat, 
what did you have for dinner at AuthorCon? Oh my God, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it was going to be that. I am not telling, Rob. <laughs> you will never know. I'll take it to my grave. I'm so intrigued about what could have happened at a dinner that he's like mystery collaring into. It was the we get backstory here. Like shit showiest dinner. Uh, <laughs> the second night of AuthorCon, because like 20 some odd people all tried to go to this barbecue place and they couldn't seat us all together. Big surprise. Um, so some of some people went into a separate room and then the rest of us sat outside. Rob was one of the people that went into a different room. Uh, he did not see what I ordered. I told him it was not barbecue. And for some reason, he has decided that that's his hill to die on. And he wants to really know what I ate there. I'm not even sure I remember what I ate there anymore. So, no, no, you have to keep the mystery alive. Like, you remember exactly what it ate. And it was something crazy and exotic that Rob is going to yeah. be envious of for the rest of his life. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, yeah, he can, he can just think about it some more. Okay. So then let's go to the woods. Our topic today, I don't want to be like overly obvious talking about why the woods are scary, right? Everybody knows the woods are scary. Um, since prehistoric times, it's been built into humankind. Like, don't go into the wilderness on your own. Like, we we know that there's dangers out there. It's it's just this thing. Um, but we'll start with a slightly weightier question. Each of our topics for today does a cool job of dodging that obvious take on the woods. There's not just some monster in the woods that everybody's trying to hide from. Um, in, in Alan Wake and from, and in the wild oblivion each, the woods are scary. Sure. Uh, but they're not necessarily a malevolent entity. And we'll kind of get into that with from, cause we've got, we've got another person that wrote in a question that kind of digs into this, but the woods are powerful as shit, but they're a neutral force. It seems like they, they can be just as beautiful as they are terrifying. Nature isn't here to kill us. It's just here. So can you tell us a little bit about your understanding of the power of the woods, uh, as lofty as that sounds, uh, and just why this is such a cool concept to play with, such a cool setting? Well, I think I've always had a, um, a connection to the woods. Um, growing up in Maine, you're surrounded by them. They're everywhere. Um, you know, playing in the woods and and um, hiking in the woods and just generally surviving, <laughs> driving through, being in the woods all the time. Um, it's, uh, you kind of learn to live with them and some things about them are scary and some things about them are beautiful. Um, I will also just throw in the fact that my last name means forest in Portuguese. So there is that connection to, and I've always, you know, just really loved the woods. So, um, so I think my biggest takeaway is that I, I never want to make the forest a totally scary thing in my books. Um, just like, you know, some of these other things like from, and like, uh, like Alan Wake, they're, they're, 
they're kind of like their own entity. They exist and are powerful on their own. Um, sort of in like a HP Lovecraft kind of way. Like they're the eldritch horror. They're the, the big scary bad. Um, but there's, there's no way to, uh, defeat them i guess is the best best way to put it they're they're just kind of like they're they're all powerful um and nothing that you do to them really matters uh you're kind of inconsequential in terms of like how the forest is surviving uh so that that was kind of a thought that i had when i went into writing this series and that's kind of the thoughts that i've had while you know playing or watching these two uh other series as well and i know a bunch of other um media uh you know shows movies things like that have kind of taken a similar stance yeah um I'm also thinking of yellow jackets here. It keeps popping into my head as like, oh, we should totally have that on this episode, but we have to draw a line somewhere, right? <laughs> we can only have so many topics. Um, that is very cool about your last name. Um, you you have been branded with this straight out of the gates. Like, yeah, the woods are going to be her thing. <laughs> um, any stories about growing up in the woods that kind of spring to mind? You said it, growing up in Maine, you were, they were all around you, but... Like any any particular instances where you can remember thinking, like, oh, these woods are cool or scary or whatever else it is? I mean, there I think there's nothing like that that actually sticks out as a distinct memory, um, other than the fact that I had woods in my backyard. So I could just go there. And often did, you know, you get to that rebellious, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade stage where you just start to like want to explore and roam around. And then um, that became like my favorite thing to do. So I would go with a couple of friends and we would just go explore the woods after school. And um, and I think those experiences just really shaped my my excitement and adventurism for uh, for the woods and how uh, interesting and spooky they can be. So, yeah. Yeah. Stick forts. Um. <laughs> bamboo forts, actually. That's the uh, we lots of bamboo. Uh, had lots of bamboo in the backyard growing up, but really, that was like on the edge of the forest. So, okay. I would not have expected that out of Maine, but okay, cool. It's. <laughs> It's Japanese knotweed. So it's it's like a really weird um, invasive species kind of thing. But um, but yeah, we just referred to it as bamboo. So Okay. Okay. Cool. Um so then okay, I, I think it's kind of hard to keep pushing a conversation about the woods generally because each of the topics we're gonna get into kind of has their own unique spin on it. So yeah. um I'd like to go ahead and throw from into the mix here just so we can get a little bit of like a like a plot line to connect to to our overarching thoughts. 
Um, yeah. So with From, would you set the stage for us? What is this show about generally? And then how do the woods kind of come into it? So the show is about all of these people who have been kind of stranded in this this town um, and each one of them has gotten there by car uh, from a different location around the United States. Uh, they're driving just normally. They see a fallen tree. And then when they try and turn around and go back, they're suddenly stuck in Fromville or, you know, the town that's this kind of like old aging 50s sort of town um, and no matter how many times they try and leave the road just kind of goes around and around um, and um, after dark monsters come out and basically if you're not inside uh, protected by you know these talismans they rip you open and uh, you know flay you and it's super scary um so the whole show is about all of these characters trying to figure out why they're in the wood why they're in this town um if the woods have something to do with it and um try to get out uh it is very lost-esque because it's from the writers of lost or the creators of lost um that and uh, so much sense okay yeah <laughs> uh yeah and and so far there's only two seasons but they have definitely diverged quite a bit from one another so far yeah so i am so nervous about this show not because it scares me but even though it is like very horror centric and scary um it makes me so scared in the exact same way that I felt in seasons five or six with Lost, where I was like, oh shit, there's no way they can land this plane. There's so much mystery and so much intrigue and so many layers being built up. There's just no way that they can bring this home in any way that feels satisfactory. Like, I remember that being my driving thought for the last couple seasons of Lost, and it's back again. And I'm so invested in this show, but it's starting to feel like there's so much going on and there's so many mysteries. I don't know if they can stick this landing. So hearing that it's from the creators of Lost makes me even more scared now. It's like, oh shit, not again. I can't believe I got sucked into this trap twice. I will admit that I did not watch Lost. I was probably one of the few that did not uh, did not get into that show. Not because it, you know, not because it wasn't good or anything. I just, um, I was watching other things and I still have not seen it. So. Um, it, it's an interesting thing in like recommending or not recommending shows because I feel like this is the same thing with Game of Thrones. When Lost was at its best, the first three seasons of that show, it was really good. Tons of character drama, tons of intrigue, just like From has you get sucked into this world and it is so good while it's good. But then the 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 last couple of seasons are so bad that you just kind of feel like cheated. <laughs> and I don't know if I can recommend it anymore. 
Like I, I want to tell you, like, yeah, go back and watch Lost because the first couple of seasons are so amazing. But I know the downer that I would be setting you up for. And I don't know if I can tell you to go for it. OK, but anyhow, focusing back on From, I'm nervous because I see it going down the same road. But do you trust them? Do you feel like From is heading in in a in a direction that they can land? So I I think it is um, one of the the big things that kind of hit me was that I think they're utilizing a lot of red herrings. Like there's just, there's just red herrings all over the place. And that's meant to just kind of like keep you guessing. Um, so I think that that's just going to keep going though. I, I think they're trying to make this show very not guessable and but I think it does have a story that it's drawing from uh, that's pretty concrete. And I think that they're going to stick the landing, especially since if they've already made such a monumental, uh, terrible mistake with Lost, I feel like they would not necessarily be setting themselves up again for that kind of failure. Uh, I certainly hope not. I wouldn't think so, but then J.J. Abrams went and made the Star Wars trilogy. That well, he, and it's just like, I, yeah, somebody well, wants to listen here, damn it. I don't think J.J. Abrams is involved in this. Okay, all right. That makes me feel better I, somehow. I don't know. Just the, I don't think it's the same company. I think it's like a couple of writers maybe or something to that effect. But yeah, no, I agree. The whole Star Wars uh, trilogy ending. I'm, you know, <laughs> something that I'm currently like, I have my my uh, significant other and his best friend come over. Like we do game night every Sunday. And that last movie comes up in conversation pretty much weekly. Somehow Palpatine returned. Yes, that that exact. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, refocusing here because I just brought us on this whole tangent. Um, uh, I mentioned the horror elements of the show, and this is a very horror centric podcast. So let's let's hard focus on those for a minute. Um, if somebody hasn't seen From yet, what are the successful good horror elements that you see at play here? Like, what are what are they what are they doing? well in your mind from a um, point the so first of all the monsters are fabulous they're like like pants shittingly scary um and you know these these people that just kind of like come out of the darkness and uh walk wherever you know they're always walking uh and they're always smiling and they all look like ordinary, like 50s townspeople um, until, you know, they actually catch somebody and then they go full pointy teeth and big claws. And um, they did a just tremendous job with making them seem really eerie and then having them actually be super scary um i think the other thing that they really 
did a good job with was the breakdown in human nature um, between the townspeople, just based on the situations that they are uh, finding themselves in. Like everybody is uh, dealing with their own thing and um, people are not necessarily communicating and all of those uh, all of those characters and all those elements um, interacting together is just so well done. And then, of course, the woods are my other thing that I think they have they have done well to a point. Um, the the mystery surrounding them, I think they've done very well. I would hesitate to say that the woods are scary though in this series because you know and that's something that we've sort of talked about a little bit but they they certainly have made them very mysterious and they certainly have made them um like an integral part of the the fromville okay so let's let's dive into that because uh a it's the topic of the episode so we we should be spending more time here um and b uh we we had a question on twitter that ties into this really well so kind of connecting the what's scary with the trees uh concept so cabin boy hashtag from illy hashtag save 1899 upside down triangle (laughs) um uh asks do moving trees suggest anything besides Ents and Evil Dead's wilding woods? It seems like Fromville's... Hey, they use the same phrase as you. Uh, mm. It seems like Fromville's trees move inch move inches over weeks, unsure of timescale according to Victor. Are they ghosts? Do the dead occupier become trees? Are the trees becoming more human? Um, and then there's a follow-up question about real world lore and religions, uh, and how they tie into the woods. So, uh, I, I think let's break this down one piece at a time. So with their first question, Mm -hmm. do the moving trees suggest anything besides ants and evil dead's wilding woods? So I also wrote about trees, you know, moving and and gradually taking over the world and i i think that they definitely do suggest that the woods are maybe taking over the town maybe expanding um i'm not entirely sure why they are um but there is definitely this like this piece of information that we're missing currently from the series as to like what's what's motivating the trees to change you know in the second season their their leaves are changing um they're moving closer to the town uh what's up with you know the far away trees uh so I think I did spend a good portion of this afternoon going down rabbit holes of like what people are thinking (laughs) the uh, inspiration for all of these things are like their, their theories of 
what, um, you know, re what religions uh, this might be based on or uh, mythology or whatever. And I think, I think the best one that I've seen so far was had something to do with uh, tarot cards, <laughs> actually. Okay. Um, and how each of the characters is potentially related to a tarot card and its meaning and then the history of tarot. So it was like, I'm not sure that I'd be able to regurgitate all of that. Um, but essentially it, it like, a lot of it seemed pretty spot on. <laughs> okay. Uh, so anyway, that's, that seems really good to me. I, usually like to avoid looking at things like that because I just really want to enjoy the show and let it surprise me. So we'll see, I guess, where it goes. My wife does something very similar. Like I'll try to predict endings of movies and she just gets frustrated at me and just looks at me. <laughs> like, are you doing that? I'm like, well, just enjoy the ride. I can't help it. Um, I've got this like, black hole theory that like the woods are some like, vortexy thing um out in the middle of nature that that has been sucking people in accidentally um and i think the monsters from the woods got sucked into this vortex also i don't think the woods are trying to do anything malevolent i think they're just there and they're confounding based on their existence like the natural woods are confounding and confusing and you get lost in them. Um, yeah. so it, if the woods are stuck in any sort of an altered state, like that would just blow all of this up and like maybe some genuinely malevolent thing gets sucked into here also. And, and it's just a war of the worlds with the good people and the evil monsters getting sucked into this like bad, I don't know, drain. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. I, but like, I don't know. There's also all the stuff about like the electricity coming from somewhere. There's also like there's just so much stuff up in the air. Yeah. Um, and that's that's where the red herring stuff starts getting in there because like there's definitely avenues that they've explored that have then just like totally gone dead end. And then we don't seem to come back to them. Yeah. And yeah. And I'm kind of wondering, like, oh, is this just to, like, totally mislead us so that we're paying attention to that and we're not paying attention to something that's happening over here? Um, but I, I think the, the main thing that I had an issue with there was there, um, the, the season two, spoiler, they managed to kill one of the monsters and there's like bile in in one that they're like oh maybe we can use this to make silver bullets and then they try that and nothing happens and then it's just abandoned completely the entire idea is just abandoned and it's abandoned because like other shit starts happening that's more important but it's also kind of like well come on what 
so yeah i i um like trying to like push those those things aside and like focus on the the meat and potatoes of like what's happening has been really hard um i did just remember the theory that i was reading the tarot theory is that it's like somebody made a deal with the devil and they're now they're playing a game okay and there's two teams um and every time you know something good happens that's the light team and every time something bad happens it's the dark team and so there's this like whole idea that this is a you know simulation provided by the game and the participants who are trying to play against each other so it was like it was a really weird more supernatural explanation but i really liked it that almost feels lost-ish again <laughs> with yeah. the explanation uh okay so while we're on this like paranoid conspiracy theory um train this feels like a really good time to introduce alan wake because what is alan wake if not paranoid conspiracy theories mm-hmm. um so we have a game that plays with a lot of these same um elements that we've been talking about um confusion being lost in the woods having other elements supernatural or not tugging at the at the phrase of what's already a scary situation um so if you would could you set the stage with us for alan wake what is this game about uh so alan wake is about a writer named alan wake who goes on vacation with his wife to Bright Falls, Washington. Um, He's supposed to be there just taking a hiatus from trying to write his new novel. And um, basically his wife kind of tricks him by trying to get him to write and uh, somehow his wife goes missing. Uh, He wakes up two weeks later with like amnesia and he's pursued by these shadowy people who are the inhabitants of the town who have been kind of taken over by evil entities. Um, And he has to use a flashlight to kind of burn away the shadow entities and then shoot them. And um, you know, objects can also be possessed. Um, and um basically he's just trying to figure out what happened to his wife uh tries to save her and he's also apparently written a story that he has no memory of so that sets the stage all right um i slept on this game for way too long um knowing it was a game about a horror writer getting sucked into one of his own stories and having to like run and gun his way out of it like everything about that screams game that i would like and yet i just never took the plunge um but it is free on playstation right now if you've got playstation plus side note plug for playstation plus it's free right now so i finally took the plunge earlier this month um it's so fun Um, it's got a good story at its core the game 
play is a little bit dicey because it's 13 years old at this point, but like it's forgivable. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't know. I just had a lot of fun with it. Um, but also as horror authors, um, I, I feel very targeted, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Any, any feelings about that as you played through with like, oh God, he's going through writer's block. I'm going through writer's block. This sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there's, there's definitely some over-dramatized, uh, you know, writer's block things in, in the story that, that do kill me. Like I'm, I'm also replaying it right now. And there's a whole thing about like, I haven't been able to write anything in, in two years. Man, <laughs> he just gets like all pissy about it. And um, I don't know. He's, I, I feel like the entire industry has changed quite a bit since this game came out also so there's definitely a lot of those familiar tropes um you know like oh the writer goes to a small town and everybody knows who he is and they're all huge fans of him and you know there's a cutout of him in the diner and you know all this ridiculous stuff right his agent comes to check on him <laughs> no very like silly agent um yeah it's just yeah it's a, it's a little you have to suspend some disbelief but uh but it is still a fun game to play yeah um i really want alan wake 2 to dive into self-publishing somehow <laughs> <laughs> um but okay, so digging into the woods here, uh, introducing them again. So we've got this this author out here, supernatural spookyukis are uh, are coming after him out of the shadows. What role are the woods playing in all of this for us? So the woods the woods play a smaller part in in Alan Wake, um, but I will say that throughout the game, you are you are like thrown into the woods because the small town is just completely surrounded by them. Um, and pretty much every level <laughs> takes place in the woods at some point or another, um, because it's really the, the most tense place to, to be. Um, you never know when the shadow people are going to come out of the trees and attack. Um, it's definitely the most uh anxiety inducing part of the game when you're running through the woods uh certainly for me anyway <laughs> um i just played about an hour before this and um you know as soon as you get into the trees as soon as there's darkness and you can't see anything around you uh you're just immediately on edge and um even even though this is supposed to take place in a in a small town everything is kind of spread out so you have to be going through the woods most of the time to reach all of these different destinations and um it's just it's really cleverly done because you're always dreading going in 
at every point. Yeah. And I, something I really appreciated about the game was how they managed to make the woods feel claustrophobic, which yes. is exact opposite of what you would imagine with the woods because woods are wide open spaces there's no walls anywhere there's no ceilings anywhere like it, it is just openness in theory but then you've got a game like this or you've got you know various films do this too where you can feel the trees pressing in on you from all different angles um your sight lines are limited because there's trees everywhere and you don't know what's right on the other side of that cluster of trees like your sight lines are down it's dark there's stuff all around you and the the the, the branches start looking like arms and your imagination can project lots of like badness into this this otherwise like seemingly empty space yeah it's just paranoia like that they do a really good job of like like there's a path for you to follow through Mm -hmm. the woods and so for the uh the person that is playing who is scared out of their wits and just wants to get through the woods they're going to stay on that path and they're going to like run to the nearest light source um which is like the only way that you're safe um from the shadows but the problem is if you do that then you're not getting all the collectible things you're not finding the the coffee thermoses and you're not um doing all of the the things that the game wants you to do so you have to go off trail to find those things and that does force you to uh encounter more enemies um pretty much any time that they start you out and you're supposed to go forward, but there's a way to go backward. <laughs> like, you know that there's going to be some bad shit back there. You know there is. But you go back there because you know there's also going to be, like, something else there that you have to pick up. Yeah. And it, it's also one of those games where the items you're looking for glint. Yes. You'll be running along a path, and I'll just see this little glint off in the woods, like, out in the middle of nowhere in the darkness. It's just like fucking damn it that not all those glints are good that's <laughs> yeah just so so you know <laughs> going forward uh because i forgot about this in whatever chapter it was the you know when you're going through the uh the woods trying to get to the peak there's like bear traps even the glints are confounding like the, there's nothing trustworthy in the woods and it's just maddening. Yeah. Ah, uh, I forgot about that too. You're right though. Um, so Alan Wake 2 is coming out and it is cool because Alan Wake 1 left us on a little bit of a cliffhanger here. Um, Alan is in the dark place, um, still cranking away at this manuscript. Um we think that he stopped the big bad, but then there's like this scene at the very end with the, the the lady from the diner and like it's not like certain if he stopped the big bad. And I mean, they're making a sequel, so clearly he didn't stop the big bad. But also all of this to say, um, the studio that made Alan Wake has made a couple of other games since then, like Control and worked in little Alan Wake Easter eggs into those games, too. They are creating a whole shared universe 
shared universes are a theme for this episode, apparently. Um, but they're creating a whole shared universe, and now they're finally bringing it back in Alan Wake 2 and letting the story progress. Do you have any hopes and dreams for Alan Wake 2? Like, what do you think we're getting into here? Because even the trailer isn't giving us much. Yeah. Um, so when I first played Alan Wake, it was like pretty much right after it came out. And it was for me right after I had finished watching the first season of Twin Peaks. So there were a lot of references in Alan Wake to Twin Peaks. And I loved that. Um, I feel like I want there to be that same claustrophobia from the first game. I want there to still be that sense of nostalgia. Um, what I don't want is I don't want it to feel like uh, there's nothing at stake. And some of the, the like preview things that I have seen have made it feel very like the evil within. And I wasn't a huge fan of that game just because, you know, you're, uh, the, the world is, is kind of simulated. It's not like, it's not like an actual place. So I really would like to feel like these are characters we care about. It's a like place and that is real um and the people there are real and there are things at stake okay i can get behind that mine was a much more technical like i want the gunplay to be better in this <laughs> <laughs> but you you have a much more author-centric answer <laughs> i appreciate it yeah. um but okay so we we've got woods through video games we've got woods through a tv show let's go woods through books um the thing we're really here for today let's talk the wild oblivion um so you kind of previewed the wild oblivion uh at the at the opener to the episode um anything else to add as a pitch for the series one more time before we dive into these works uh a little more in depth um... I mean, really, there's there's two main books, and then there's a bunch of tangent books again, um, which I'm going to continue to create more tangent books in the series. Um, and I think as a whole, there's certainly an order that that makes them, I think, a little more enjoyable <laughs> to read in but i've had so many different people read like random things first and go back and read other things and and they've still really liked it so i would say that it's uh you can just kind of like jump in wherever you'd like with the shorter bits um i would certainly read book one and book two in order though <laughs> yeah or spoilers yes so behind the curtain a little bit when we were getting ready for this episode i know you you sent me the the wild fall um and i sent you a message just like okay what do i need to know about the wild dark before i get into the wild fall like are there cliff notes you could send me or something just to like get me up to speed on the story and your advice was just just read book one. So I did, and I'm very glad that I did because there is a lot going on in that first story that like fires straight into the story too. Um, 
so it, as a as a testament to the the core series like yes you you need to read those in order but the tangents I, i'm not sure about but um all of this kind of building up to horror series are kind of a weird bag right mm-hmm. uh, don't see a lot of series in horror anymore it's a very tricky thing to pull off um in horror lit specifically i know we've got michael clark uh with the patience of a dead man series and that's fabulous highly recommend it um if you're into like a ghostly slasher sort of a thing uh stephen graham jones has the indian lakes trilogy i think that's what he's calling it but my heart is a chainsaw whatever i think that's right yeah but then there's you so in your mind what is one of the keys to writing a horror series and keeping it scary um i know that's one of the big things that dissuades people from making series in horror is typically once you reveal the monster it is very hard to keep that monster scary so when you reveal the monster at the end of book one the question is kind of like okay how could i keep that scary for books two and three and what what is your advice here what are your thoughts I mean, uh, similar thoughts on, you know, what I was saying on Alan Wake, the stakes still need to be um, high. You still need to have real, uh, real characters with real problems and scary things need to happen to them. And I think part of my reason for changing the time period between books one and books two was so that we could have... Um, enough happened in the world that things had changed significantly for them so that there would be new new obstacles, new terrors. There would be people at different points in their lives with new problems. And um, that was enough things to compound uh, a new story. So... The other part of it is like, I'm rarely somebody who like when I when I write a book, I have threads going all over the place. Like I'm that person that's got the crazy serial killer, like whiteboard. Um, and it's always sunny gif insert. Here. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And so when I when I start a series, I have enough going on that like, yes, if I can wrap up a few of those threads in the first book, great, but there's always still more, um, more to figure out. People still have questions. People know that the next book comes, they're going to get a few more answers. So with that in mind, something that really impressed me about your writing and something I really enjoyed was how kind of episodic um, it felt as we went. Um, it, it feels like your books are very well geared towards becoming a TV series at some <laughs> point. Um, so it, what I'm talking about is like, there will be this big build up to a set piece. Um, and then we'll have something, we'll have things blow up at that set piece, but then that'll give way to two more set pieces and we'll, we'll see everything kind of build up to those two more set pieces. Um, it, it, it feels very much like the rise and then the, the climax of an episode feeding into a larger arc for the whole season, or in this case, for the whole story. Um, 
how uh, I feel confident guessing that you're a plotter instead of a pantser. You're a pantser. Pantser. You do that then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I figure out the ending of the book first. Okay. And then okay. I just make it up as I go along to get that character to the ending. Okay. So, okay. That's not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> Cause these, these, these books are so like intricate with so many moving pieces. I assumed you had to be a plotter. So all the questions I had planned just crashed and burned right in my face. Well, no, Give me you can, I mean, you can still ask them. It's it's like I what's difficult is a lot of people who do plot out their books have stuff like on Scrivener or they've got stuff written down um, and I keep it all here when I'm working on something. And that is maybe to my detriment, but it's just easier for me to sort it all out up here um, sometimes. So if I have my ending written down first, figured out, then I just kind of have a little bit more fun coming up with instances uh, to get them there. And the reason I think I divert to episodic, like sort of types of writing is because I've had somebody say that my, my stuff feels like I'm writing a video game a little bit, um, like different levels uh, with, you know, something you have to achieve in each level. And that is because I am a very visual writer and a lot of my inspiration comes from video games. So it does come from video games and it comes from uh, TV. So I think that's just how I write a scene. Um, weird, but it's, yeah. No, I love it. Um, so then other than other than alan wake and potentially from what would you kind of call out as some of the other influences for the wild oblivion um there is a little indie game called limbo that is a huge inspiration that came out probably around the same time as alan wake i mean it's a side-scrolling black and white um very minimalist uh ambient game where you're just playing as a little boy who wakes up in the woods and you're just kind of running along and puzzle platforming um but the idea that limbo presents itself as these giant black and white trees was and has been an inspiration for me um so that was definitely one uh and then the tv show fringe which uh i'm not sure if you've seen it but it is uh the main main character in that is is definitely my inspiration for liz uh and charlie was the inspiration for brody so that 
like that whole and i hate hate the writers for this spoiler yep, yep. kill off brody and yep. that is or they kill off charlie and my like my issue is that whenever i get into a tv series i fall in love with the one character who ends up getting killed off immediately it happens every single time and i got really invested in their friendship i wanted to write i wanted to see where it would have gone had the series continued and so i started writing and then it turned into something else entirely so there you have it as soon as you said them like all the pieces fell into place for me i'm so happy right now and <laughs> just fucking incredible um god i i feel like it just started off as like a new age x-files reboot that didn't have the x-files name and it just became something so much more and yeah that show such a fantastic show um olivia dunham i can never remember characters names but i've got her like burned in the front of my whatever's the front of your brain <laughs> <laughs> um fantastic good answer i'm so happy now <laughs> um let's hard focus on the wild fall for a second so um this hasn't come out yet Re readers aren't sure what they're in for here um and i'm gonna kind of like let you answer this and then follow your lead with where the rest of these questions go because i don't want to spoil anything that you don't want spoiled here um but it is the next book in the series. It is coming out in August. What is the premise of this book? And kind of how does it fit in with the rest of the Wild Oblivion? So this is definitely the most standalone um, in the series because it is the only book so far that takes place in the future. It It is 10, 10 years in the future. Um, so we're looking at a more dystopian landscape um, versus the wild dark, which was very much still rooted in the apocalypse is, is like happening. Um, chaos is happening. And 10 years later, the woods are, uh, still taking over the land, but humanity has adapted at this point to, you know, moving to these giant cities, uh, these government run cities, um, and they've pretty much abandoned most <laughs> most places where the woods have taken over, with exception of these, you know, little pockets, these little groups um, that still are around. And um, and our characters have remained as a small group outside of uh, going to a government-run facility, and their place that they've sort of made home is now in danger um, of being swallowed by the woods. So they hear about this town that is supposed to be self-sufficient. Uh, it's supposed to run on uh, wind and solar power. So they decide that they are going to investigate it um, and consequences happen. And that's all I'm going to say okay to avoid spoilers but um but 
yes. It's, yeah. All right. Yeah, so I I feel confident saying this now then. Um, whereas The Wild Dark was very much a, oh shit, everything's hitting the fan, run, 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 sort of a story. Um, this opened up and it felt very, like, if you liked The Last of Us, this hits a lot of the same, like, strings and, and notes. Um, if you like the middle seasons of The Walking Dead, uh, we're kind of in the same vibe here. Of we're past the collapse, and now it's a bunch of people like learning to survive and learning how to how to endure in that sort of an environment. Um, and yet, the unique twist on all of this is the woods. We're back. We're back on the theme. <laughs> so, can you describe what sort of a role the woods are playing in your stories here? Um, and kind of how that's a twist on the traditional woods are scary sort of a mindset. Um, so like I said, I um, was inspired by Limbo to create these, you know, these kind of black and white twisted woods that are at, they're the surface problem of what's taking over the world. That's what everybody sees from the outside. And when you go into them, it definitely changes. Um, there's more going on in these woods than just woods. Um, you know, they are home to the soul-eating wolves uh, and other things. They, there's, uh, some creepy architecture going on in there. There's definitely evidence that there's something more. Um, and that's kind of where I, I've been talking about the purgatory, <laughs> purgatory woods taking over the world because this is its own realm. There is definitely something sentient and uh, ancient that uh, has propelled these woods forward. Um, and the characters do learn more about this in this book, uh, where there was maybe a, a few inklings of it in the last book. There's definitely more, um, more lore about it in this one. Yeah. So with, uh, I'll try to keep most of my comments grounded in the wild dark here so that I don't spoil anything wild fallish um but that concept of having like a supernatural purgatory slant to the woods was really cool to me because it took everything that always feels a little bit mysterious and mystical about the woods and it just amplified it with a megaphone um we've got we've got ghosts walking among people and interacting with people again and talking about this other realm that they came through and then you see the other realm leaking through into this world also and it just takes something that's already scary at face value like i don't want to get lost in the woods and it gives it just one more level of energy that's not right <laughs> but yeah <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. It, it was just all done very well. And, and I appreciated the spooky vibes associated with it. Um, um, any, any advice on creating eerie 
creating the eerie out of the familiar? Um, well, I think there's eerie and familiar in, in making it so that it you kind of feel comfortable, but then twisting it a little bit so that, um, you know, you, you think of it as being something that you know, and then suddenly it's not. I think that's kind of when it becomes the scariest um, is thinking that you're somewhere safe. And then in a split second, it's not. And, um, you know, I, I think that's part of the reason, too, that I kept the, the story in New England where you do have, it's a very woods-rich area <laughs> to begin with, but then having this intrusive forest purgatory that's like, uh, you know, it, it seems familiar, but once you really get in there, then suddenly everything has changed. Um, makes it that much more terrifying for a lot of the characters in the book. Um, and then I want to spend just a second talking about the characters because they do really feel like the driving forces behind these stories. They're very character-centric character studies. Um, is it Liz or Liv? No, Liz. Liz, Okay. Uh, we've got Liz and Evie uh, kind of as the point people coming into the wild fall. So um, can you tell us a little bit about those characters? Um, what inspired you to bring them into this uh, ringer of a situation? <laughs> um, and and kind of what what you hope we can connect to them with and what we hope we see in them? Um, well, Liz was the main character of the Wild Dark, so I really wanted to bring her back, uh, again, 10 years later, uh, a lot of her fears and a lot of her, um, feelings about things have changed. She was very much a loner in the first book who has now kind of become... I don't know, close to a group of people and um, and then uh, how to protect them, how to take care of them is her driving force, which is very different uh, from how we saw her before. And then Evie was only six in book one <laughs> and now she is a, you know, full teenager with <laughs> all those teenager feelings yep. uh, and you know uh, seeing her growing up in this world is a different viewpoint from all of these other adults who have uh, you know known life beforehand so having the lens of a kid who has had to grow up with this stuff was kind of the other idea that I had when I started writing um but um you know as I said before I also really like to write grief horror so I liked to see what that looks like through different characters eyes as well you you and Ross Jeffrey should have a have a good chat sometime <laughs> over the grief horror thing I, I mean, just I would so um and we 
tried to dive into that, but it was all very, I guess I'll say focused in scope. Like it, there was a certain type of character that we watched go through the ringer over and over again, grieving parents. This gives us a little bit more variety in that field, but it still hits with the same amount of emotional resonance. And I don't know, it's just impressive. Thank you. Um, anything else we want to say about the wild fall to kind of pitch it? Uh, I know we're, we're starting to run close on time here. So I want to give you, give you a second to just kind of talk about whatever you want to talk about for a second here with your book. Yeah, I, um, other than the fact that it is, uh, coming out soon and I'm really excited about it, it's up for pre-order, uh, if anybody is. Uh, interested in pre-ordering you can get copies right on my website um there was a lot of inspiration from a uh surrealist polish painter i forgot to mention that Ooh, uh, okay super spooky and awesome um and his name is zidislaw biksinski so oh, for anybody who's you know wanting a little bit of foresight into some of the imagery that helped sculpt some of the things in the book. Look up some of his paintings. They're scary as shit. Okay, help me spell his name real quick because I just tried to Google it off to the side over here and it is not even trying for me. Yeah, Z-D-Z-I-S-L-A-W and then B-E-K... S I N S K I. There he is. And images. And holy shit, you weren't kidding. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Oh, there's this one picture of like a swarm of people climbing up into some demonic looking thing's mouth and it's gorging itself on them. We've got massive monuments. We've got a tree and a blood-soaked field. This is yeah. The um, a lot of the architecture pieces were were some uh, inspiration, and and several of the like creature ones as well. So very cool. How did you come across Zdzislaw Bixinski? Uh, that was also a video game. <laughs> <laughs> okay which one uh, tormentum dark sorrows was is a uh, indie game on steam and the artist there was heavily inspired by zidislaw biksinski um and then not to put the cart before the horse or anything like that but looking into the future what is kind of the long-term idea here with the wild oblivion is there a book three coming in the main storyline? Are there more side projects coming? Um, what 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 are you? What's the roadmap? Or is there one? There's, I mean, there's kind of one. Um, I had originally intended book two to be the last main book in the series. Um, however, I have had feelings that I should write a third one. And that may come uh, not right away, but that may come in the future. Um, in terms of the other 
Small Things in the Wild Oblivion. There is a sequel to Hallowed Oblivion coming in October called Lost Oblivion. And there will be a sequel to Dan and Andy's Karaoke Holiday, which is coming next spring. All right. Very fun. Well, Kat, I enjoyed this very much. Um, thank you for coming on the show for an afternoon. Everybody, if you are not in the Wild Oblivion series yet, I highly recommend you go pick it up. Start with the fall. Um, trust us on this. You need that backstory. But then, yeah, anything else you want to kind of say to listeners here? Um, socials. What are your socials? Where could they find you and interact with you more if they wanted to? I mean, I am basically everywhere <laughs> right now um, due to that, you know, fun, spooky scare with Twitter. Um, so <laughs> you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and threads and Blue Sky. And I've got my own website at CatherineSilvaAuthor.com. Let's be honest here for a second. Which of the socials is the is the favorite? I mean, it's still Twitter. Um, I if I had to pick a second, it would be Instagram for now. Um, you know, if they can figure out if Threads can figure out the the whole home feed thing not being people you don't actually follow then i will probably spend more time there but you know we'll see yeah we are right in the middle of the chaos vortex of like a new social media popping up every other day and like none of them actually working but all of them working a little bit and like mm -hmm. if you post on 10 sites at once the like the the, the collective is like somewhat palatable it sucks yeah uh, but yes follow, follow you everywhere that you can uh pick up these books um any last thoughts about the woods for us um before we close the episode out i, I feel like we talked about all the subjects really well and then we just kind of like threw a dart at the woods yeah. <laughs> to wrap things up with each one if you have access to the woods you should go spend time in them. You should go hiking. You should just go for a walk. You should take pictures of them. You should just, you know, soak in their ambience and and uh, and then not stay in them because the whole whole point of the episode was to stay out of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this has been a blast. And Kat, thank you again for, for coming on here. Um, everybody listening at home, if you liked what you heard, please don't forget to like or subscribe or spend a little bit of time in the uh, streaming service of your choice. But then get back out at the end because bad things happen when the sun goes down. Um, and we'll see you next time. Stay spooky. Coroners tied bells to everybody in the morgue, so if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go.